0: The college football playoff is officially expanding to five plus seven. We're going to talk about my top 10 best available players in the NFL draft. And Steve Sarkeesian got the bag. Let's talk about it. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, good folks? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your to podcast. Today on the show, I want to talk about the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams in the five plus seven format. And yet, the gunfight has only just begun. Steve Sarkeesian got a bag, which led me to ask the question do they expect him to win the national championship before Lincoln Riley? is supposedly going to win an national championship. Talk about that. But first, let's talk about the 10 best players available in the 2024 NFL draft. I love doing these sorts of things because it really is me taking a look at what happened in 2023, looking at the guys that decided to enter the draft and what seniors there are available. And it's not as deep as you might think through the middle and through the bottom, but the top Top is still very, very heavy. We out had a number of players that decided to go back to college, given name, image, and likeness, rather than just go get the money in the NFL because it's there for them to get. That said, top 10 players, as I see it, my goodness, man, we are going to be in for a treat. So I'm going to start number 10, kind of work a little bit quicker than I might normally because 10 is more than five, which is what we normally do here. But LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels is at number 10 for me. He's also kind of an enigma, right? No, number one, he's 23 years old. For perspective there, Lamar Jackson turned 27 this year, right? Caleb Williams is 22. Drake May is 21. But that ain't the thing, really, that sets me back on Jaden Daniels and why he fairly is here at number 10. It's that he was a good to decent quarterback for the first four years of his career, And then he had one of the best statistical seasons that anybody has ever had, particularly at the quarterback position. So given what we know about him, he's either Lamar Jackson or Johnny Manziel, right? Check this out. Daniels had never thrown for 3,000 yards in any of the four previous seasons to 2023. Then he dropped 3,812 pass yards. He threw 49 TDs, in the first four years of his career, he threw 40 alone in 2023. He threw 10 interceptions in 2021 alone and threw just four in 2023. Then last year, this is the one that really cooked me. He rushed for 1,134 yards. That's about 300 more, more than a little less than 300. than the 890 that he rushed for in 2022 however he averaged 8.4 yards per rush last year and that's better than any average he had had previously which topped out about 6.2 if you are drafting Jaden daniels the question that you have to ask yourself is which dude am i getting am i getting the dude that we saw for four years or the dude that we saw last year and i reached out to my buddy rob rang on this a Covers the NFL draft for Fox. And I asked him about a couple of players, but Daniels was one of them. And he gave me his insight, and I told him I thought he was a top 10 player. He's going, That's a little spooky for me. And I asked why. Because you got to take into account the wide receivers that he had at his disposal, both in 2022 and 2023. And I do, but given what we know about the quarterback position and what we know about the quarterback position in the NFL, really difficult for me to see a guy who was able to put what he did in 2023 on film and overlook him precisely because there are guys that put stuff on film in 2022 that weren't so great in 2023 that still might actually get drafted before him so it's really about doing your work and doing your due diligence if you're going to go get a Jaden Daniels but he passes all of the character studies that you want to he is Outstanding! Everybody loves him, myself included, right? He is a great dude. And I think he's going to be good at whatever organization he ends up with. It's just about, is he a first-round quarterback? Because I look at Jaden Daniels and the way that people were really talking about what's going on in Green Bay. I think that you got a guy in Jaden Daniels who could basically have the same sort of trajectory where he's going to get there. You just got to give him some time. Maybe sitting behind someone that knows what they are doing. Number nine on the list, got wide receiver Rome Odunzi coming out of Washington. This was also difficult for me because that man was so prolific. 92 catches for over 1,600 yards, catch a pass from Michael Pennick Jr. They go without Jalen McMillan for a time there. They play one of the toughest schedules that anybody played in 2023. They showed up to the national championship game, 14-0, in large part due to him. If not for another wide receiver, I think we're talking about Romo Dunzi being the Balitnikov award winner and a no doubt first round pick. And I, you know, at nine, I think that's what he is. Best available, though, kind of takes a tank there because. He showed against Michigan just what his limits might be. He is a great launch strider and for the most part, he is great at the point of attack when catching the ball, but he can flip himself around. He can get ahead of himself and, and got to have his situations against the best team in college football He didn't quite have it. However, you put him into a receiving core where he's not the only guy doing all the work, I would love to see what happens with him. I think that drafting him, you're also going to get another character guy, and it would not shock me at all to see that Mike McDonald decides to go and try to get one Romo Dunsey, given who his offensive coordinator is, Ryan Grubb, who's offensive coordinator at Washington last year, obviously knows a lot about Rome, Put Rome on one side. Put Jackson Smith and Jigba on the other. Tyler Lockett in the middle. DK Metcalf doing whatever DK Metcalf wants to do. Put Geno back there. That's a playoff team to me, right? I love looking at that team. I think that's pretty easy there. Number eight, I got Iowa defensive back Cooper DeGene. You know how much I love Cooper DeGene. I tried to put people on game last summer. Some of y'all took it. Some of y'all did not. The drawback for Cooper DeGene is the injury that he suffered in the middle of the year. But in as far as the most athletic and capable corner safety defensive back in this draft. I don't think there's anybody that can hold a candle to him. It's just whether or not he's coming back from that injury to be 100%. And is he still the same explosive kind of player that he was at Iowa? It's a guy that can run punts back who could play will linebacker. If you wanted him to corner safety, strong safety in the middle of the box. I think of him as another Minka Fitzpatrick, maybe even a little bit faster. I think that if you are willing to take a swing, on a guy coming off an injury, this is the dude to do it with. Number seven, I got Latu. Latu, who has really been prolific for two straight years here at defensive end, playing UC, uh, at UCLA as a basically the, the Jalen Phillips position of outside linebacker. But we got two seasons of 10 sacks or more out of him, 2022, 2023. And in both of those seasons, he had at least two forced fumbles. And then last year, he added two interceptions to what was a stat stuffer sheet for a guy that is every bit of six foot five, 265, right? I think that's a prototypical three, four linebacker. A lot of teams could use his particular skill set. If you see that the man can absolutely line up against a tight end and maybe hold his own, that's easy. That's easy money there because he does everything else you want an outside linebacker, defensive end type to do. He puts people on the ground. He wreaks havoc in the backfield. It's just, can he run with that tight end for that comeback, right? We'll find out. That's what the NFL combine is for. That's what pro days are for. Okay. Number six, I got Notre Dame offensive tackle, Joe Alt. I think this is the most polished offensive tackle in this draft. Uh, There are some things that you cannot like about Joe Alt, but they all have to do with things he doesn't really have control over, like being big and tall, which means his center of gravity is not going to be that low. But I don't see that being the real impediment that others do because he's got great feet. He's got great hands. And we know what kind of offensive lineman come out of Notre Dame. And that dude is on the short list of one of the best that they are going to have in the draft the last five years. I think that's easy. Number five. Okay. Now we get back to the Jaden Daniels discussion because I have Malik neighbors at number five. Malik was a dude last year. At, he had 89 catches for over 1500 yards right now. Granted, if he had played as many games as Romo Dunsey, I think he's going to have better stats. But he didn't. Right. Even so, that was one of the guys that you had to absolutely take away for Jaden Daniels to not be successful, to not win the Heisman Trophy. And nobody could do it with any sort of regularity. Right. I think this dude in particular is the the Zay Flowers of this particular draft class. I think that if you line him up in the slot, he can do anything you want. I think he can lead your team in receptions. I think. If his talent lives to the man, my goodness, the plays that he's making in the middle of the field where he's outrunning people, those are the ones that really spook me out if I'm a defense coordinator because he's going to catch the ball. It's can you get him on the ground as soon as he catches the ball? And the answer is usually no. Run after the catch is what this man does so much better than many of his peers. He's going to get up those extra yards. He's going to do this against SEC competition. And again, he looked outstanding against some of the better teams that they played. Number four on the list, I got Drake May. North Carolina's starting quarterback last few years. I don't know what to do with Drake may because there's a part of me that believes he is perhaps the best polished quarterback in this NFL draft class. And you look at his size, you look at his arm talent you look at his ability to move the way that I'm talking about. Jaden Daniels is what Drake may has shown at UNC for his entire career, right? He can make it happen with his feet. He can also pick you apart through the air. You give him a couple of wide receivers that know what they're doing and let him cook with the offense. It's just in those crunch time moments, I'm not sure if he's got it just yet. I'm thinking of last year in a, uh, against North Carolina State where it felt like the game was in his hands, 2022, and he just came up short. But maybe that's something that you grow into. I think guys can grow into being closers. I think guys can grow into being ready for the moment. And Drake May has everything else that you want. It's just that he have it mentally to be a starting quarterback on what would probably be a bad team because they would be drafting so highly. Number three, I got tight end Brock Bowers coming out of Georgia, and I can understand how some folks might believe that this is a little too high, but given what you saw Travis Kelsey do in the playoffs, given what you've seen Travis Kelsey do with Patrick Mahomes, given what you know about George Kittle, and given what you know about the tight end position in the NFL, think about Mark Andrews as another guy, Brock Bowers is a game record. He is big, he is fast, he is strong, and he will make his quarterback right. I'm thinking about last year when Stetson Bennett, or the year before last, Stetson Bennett was quarterback, and he's making plays against Florida, where Stetson Bennett absolutely tried to throw the ball to the other team. Now, was he as... Prolific last year, as he had been in years prior? No, but that also was a Georgia team that didn't win the SEC championship. The man showed up as a true freshman and they could not keep him off the field in a wide, excuse me, wide receiver, in a tight end room that included Darnell Washington and Eric Gilbert. The reason I want to make that clear, Darnell Washington, six foot seven, 260. That dude I thought was going to be playing in. No, he's with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Eric Gilbert was the highest rated tight end in recruiting rankings history and Brock Bowers is the jewel of that tight end group and quite literally the best tight end to ever come out of the University of Georgia. If you are looking for a guy to add to your roster, that's going to make your quarterback feel great. Brock is that dude. I'm looking at him and I'm going, Jim Harbaugh might be talking all this noise about, you know, Roman Wilson and these offensive linemen and JJ McCarthy, but you need to go get Brock Bowers and make Justin Herbert happy. And then Go do what it do, baby, because I think that that guy can do anything he wants on a football field, and I don't know there's a whole lot of people that can match up with him. It's a nightmare. Number two on the list for me, Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., the first player in Ohio State history to have multiple 1,000-yard receiving seasons. I know that's difficult for some people to wrap their heads around, but that's because they haven't been watching Ohio State for the last, you know, 100 years. That's a running program. They like to run the football. They've always loved to run the football. It's only here recently when— Ryan Day basically started to call the offense that they started to sling the ball around and Brian Hartline upgraded that wide receiver room into the monster that it is, right? Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't the best wide receiver on his home team two years ago, right? We're talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. having to argue for time with guys, not argue, but had to challenge for time, right? With guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba, with guys like Chris Olave, with guys like Garrett Wilson, right? Then last year, when he was the offense, he rose to the occasion, won their first Bolitnikoff award since Terry Glenn in 1995, was a Heisman finalist at the wide receiver position, and there is no catch that six 6'4", 205, Marvin Harrison Jr. can't make. The reason I got him at number two is because he plays wide receiver. That's it. It's a dependent position, meaning that if the quarterback ain't any good, it doesn't matter how talented Marvin Harrison Jr. is. It only matters that you can't get him the ball, which is why I land at number one where a lot of folks land at number one. Caleb Williams coming out of USC, another Heisman winner, another Lincoln Riley quarterback. And I feel like his draft process is going to mirror, not mirror, excuse me. It's going to encapsulate Kyler Murray's draft prospect uh, uh, process and Baker Mayfield's draft process just together because he's as polarizing as Baker Mayfield and he's as talented as Kyler Murray. Right now, Kyler Murray might be the most talented athlete on the face of the earth just because I know baseball and I know what he was capable of doing over there and see what he's able to do when a Heisman at Oklahoma is one thing. But he has what Kyler has, what Patrick Mahomes has, an ability to make plays when plays are dead. I'm telling you, plays are supposed to be coffin nailed and that dude spins out of them, finds somebody down the field, makes an impossible throw. It is the kind of talent you can't teach anybody and he is confident enough to believe he can pull it off and he's coming out of a system that really does give the quarterback a lot of free reign to do what he thinks he needs to to get the team into the best play we all know riley's pedigree in brooming quarterbacks right i mentioned a couple of them but this guy is the most talented one that he has had now he's coming off of a middling 23 year by his standards Especially coming off of that what we saw from him previously. But I think that you're going to have to find a fit for him, right? Meaning I, I get that people want him to go to Chicago. I think Justin Fields is great, but you know, you know how I feel about Justin Fields. I don't know that he fits, right? I'm looking around and I'm I'm really asking myself, what kind of a franchise can deal with the bright personality and the brashness for which Caleb Williams is going to walk in. I would like to think all 32, but Caleb Williams, for me, I would not mock to say the Pittsburgh Steelers. You get what I'm saying? It's a different sort of franchise. However, send that dude to Minnesota, right? Maybe you got something. Maybe with Mike McDonald and Ryan Grubb, they're going a different way at Seattle. I could see other fits is what I'm saying, right? I don't think anybody should be set on him going at number one unless somebody else trades up to get that spot. I think Caleb Williams is going to be a great quarterback in this league. It's just whether or not as a rookie, is he going to be Bryce young or is he going to be CJ Stroud for which the book is still open on both of those guys, but they are definitely going in two different directions. A couple of other notes that I kind of want to hit on or one in particular, I should say, before we get off this segment, you'll notice that in this top 10, I do not have a single Michigan Wolverine. I'm making that plain because I checked ESPN, CBS sports and pro football focus. And none of us, have a Michigan player among our top 10 best available in the 2024 draft. This is with the knowledge that Michigan has had more players selected for the NFL Combine off of one team than any other team in history and could set the new mark for the most players drafted in a single draft since Georgia with 15 in 2021. Okay, It is more about what Jim Harbaugh was able to pull off Last year, especially, but the last three years where that program, that team has demonstrated itself to be greater than the sum of its parts. It kind of fits that Jim Harbaugh's 15-0, perfect season, the one that solidifies him as one of the great college football coaches, great football coaches we've ever had, did not have an Aiden Hutchinson, right? Did, Did not have a no doubt number one, number two, number three overall pick right? We didn't see the Blake Corum that we'd seen the year before. We're not sure what to do about him, right? J.J. McCarthy, I asked my guy Rob Rang about this. I said, do you have any Michigan player in the top 10? No. Top 20? No. Who do you get to first? J.J. McCarthy, just outside of the top 20, right? That is where they are. That is who they are. It's also how I'm probably going to talk about Michigan for the rest of the offseason. But I just need to point that out because I don't think we're going to see something like that ever again. I don't think we're going to see a college football team go 15 and oh, or I should say not 15 because we're going to go to a 12 team playoff, win a national championship and not have a guy selected among the first 10 selections. It just, it would boggle my mind if we did that again in my lifetime. But again, one more time, Jim Harbaugh coached his behind off, even as he was not even on the sideline for six games last year. Michigan, my goodness, writing its own book. all right, let's go from my top 10 best available NFL draft prospects to some news that broke earlier today Tuesday as we're doing the live show. the college football playoff unanimously unanimously <laughs> approves five plus seven model for the 12 team playoff so that basically we're gonna get our four power uh, our power five our four our power four. Yeah, our power four plus highest rank group of five plus the next seven at large. I think this is a good model. I like that we finally did this, and that's kind of the point, right? The point was it took them 17 months to get here, even as everybody knew, well, with what they were going to settle on. But when the Pac-12 imploded, right, then we got to rethink this. But it's a little bit more in depth than what I think it's getting credit for, because we're still working out where this thing is going to be aired. We're still working out who's gonna play what and when. And we're still working out just when we want this thing to start. Like that's the part about this that I find fascinating. We're asking people that work in higher education to be business people and come up with a good business plan for what is amounting to a multi-billion dollar extravaganza. And we got a lot of, you know, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, right? But that they settle on this five plus seven is a, finally, a bright spot, right? Because we know that we're going to expand from four to 12, which is great. That we can't seem to figure out how we're going to put this on is another problem. I would add in this, the future of college football is very much in flux. We know, though, that it is healthy from a financial standpoint. I think that's important to note because given what name, image, and likeness has been, some think of it as the wild west some of it uh, some people think of it as fair market and free market we just don't know how solvent we're going to be in the next 10 years and this model is a very big pillar in how profitable college football remains and how likely we are to see as many teams playing FBS football as we have in the past i think there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking again i've said this i love that we're in a moment of chaos I love that uh, there are people that are jumping ship. I love that there are folks that decide they can't hang. Cool, cool. Because if you're still here and you're still doing this and you're still arguing at the table, you have a vested interest in the sport. And I don't think I need to tell y'all this. I love college football in all of its forms. And I want to see the players get paid. And I want to see the money continue to go up. And I want to see an expanded playoff. When I took this job, that was the thing that I was yelling. Expand the playoff, you cowards. They have expanded it. They have expanded it. They have extended it. We're going to get everybody in. That should be in. So we can get more of Oregon beating the brakes off of Liberty, but also get to a really competitive Alabama versus Michigan Rose Bowl, really competitive Michigan versus Washington National Championship. And I think that's all going to be just fine. It's Just going to ruin how some people remember college football. But you know what? That's called aging. We all get older. Things change as we get older. Again, Alabama. What nobody when I was a kid now I can't find a child that doesn't know that Alabama is the best program in all of football. All right, let's go from that to some news that broke over the weekend that led me to, well, what is a sports talk show segment? So Steve Sarkisian received a new deal fresh off of winning the Big 12 championship and making the college football playoff both are things that took some time. Their first Big 12 championship at Texas is 2009 and their first trip to the college football playoff ever. Texas, who has been one of the most moneyed football programs in all the world for for at least 15 years, right, has decided to reward its head coach with a contract that goes from $5.8 million annually to $10.3 million annually annually. That puts him just behind Dabo Sweeney, making $10.8 million, and Kirby Smart, he's uh, just behind at 10.7. We knew that Texas was going to reward Steve Sarkeesian with an extension, and likely a raise, but to nearly double his salary, I don't think many of us thought that that was in the cards. Now, given what college football landscape has been, And how many guys have decided that they don't want to run programs? Jeff Hathaway, Green Bay Packers, defensive coordinator. Chip Kelly left UCLA as head coach to be offensive coordinator at Ohio State, right? You want to keep your guy if you think your guy is there, right? If you can't, you want to try to put in position a guy that can succeed. So Jim Harbaugh, another example of a guy that winning the national championship was not enough to keep him at Michigan. So he wanted to go down to the Los Angeles Chargers to play away games at home and they elevate Sharon Moore, right? Knowing all of this, I'm sure that Steve Sarkeesian and his circle were like, hey, look, this could be us too. Can you reward us for what we were able to accomplish, not just last year, but what the future is going to look like, which is hard and tough in the SEC in this really unfriendly environment for college administrators. And they said, yeah, if it takes this much money for us to keep Steve Sarkeesian right where he is, then that's what we are going to do. And I, I don't see a problem with that. I, I really don't. If anything, I'm wondering now, with this kind of a raise, were you able to put pressure back on Steve Sarkeesian, right? Rather than relieve pressure on Texas. And I think that was also the point. Cool, you want a raise? We'll give you a raise. You want an extension? We'll give you an extension. We're going to give you a raise and extension that is so heavy that our own fans are going to be like, okay, so now you got to win an national championship. You know that, right? You saw, You won the league. You made the college football playoff. Now you got to go win the whole damn thing. And I think that is an interesting question, especially as Lincoln Riley at USC is also embarking on a new journey. And because their finances are not public at USC, most people believe it's in the realm of $10 million what they're paying Lincoln Riley. So given what we know that both of these coaches are being paid, who needs to win the national title more? Steve Sarkeesian? Or Lincoln Riley. That's tough. It's tough. It's tough because Lincoln Riley has made the playoff before. And the results have been the same as they are for Steve Sarkeesian. Lincoln Riley has won the Big 12 before. And the results have been the same as they are for Steve Sarkeesian. Lincoln Riley has also had supremely talented teams. And a supremely talented quarterback three friggin' times. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Caleb Williams, all right? Quinn Ewers, pretty good. Arch Manning might be pretty good. Malik Murphy was fine. But what Steve Sarkeesian also does is groom quarterbacks, right? Going back to his days at USC and even a little bit of his time at Washington. To go to Alabama, talk about what he's able to do with Mac Jones. So I think if I'm going to put this on someone, I think I'm going to put it on Texas simply because... The fan base at Texas seems to want that national championship more than USC does because at Texas we play football, right? At USC, it's nice to be included with the Dodgers and uh, the Rams and the Lakers when they're fine, right? But I think nobody's going to look at Lincoln Riley the way that they're looking at Steve Sarkeesian now. That said, Lincoln Riley's operating like the fire underneath him has been lit because outside of what we've seen Ohio State do, I think... I've been impressed with what Lincoln has done in the offseason, particularly on the defensive side. So he brings in Danton Lynn, who coordinated defense at UCLA that might have a first round pick at defensive end, but also held people to 18.4 points per game. That's the fewest points allowed by UCLA defense in almost 20 years. Right. Then he hired co-defense coordinator Eric Henderson, who coached defensive line and will coach defensive line at USC, for the Rams, which means that he was helping groom Aaron Donald into being one of the greatest defensive tackles who ever lived, if not the greatest defensive tackle who ever lived. And then he added Matt Ints, who went 60 and 11 as a head coach in North Dakota State and won two national titles to be his linebackers coach. Just those three dudes alone change how I view your defense, right? It's one thing to fire Alex Grinch. It's another thing to go and recruit these men to coordinate your defense or to help coordinate your defense and to help grow up Danton Lynn, whose, whose daddy Anthony is a pretty good coach himself. I think the flip side of that is also USC gave up 31 points last year. It's really difficult to win football games if you've given up 30 or more. I mean, that was really the difference between 6-7 and seven Oklahoma and 10-win Oklahoma, 2022-2023. The defense matters. What I don't know we're going to see is, A, is Lincoln Riley going to change his offensive style to make it a little bit more manageable for the defense? Maybe, maybe not, right? And then, is Miller Moss your guy for all eternity? I know he set the Holiday Bowl on fire, and I love watching him play, and I love watching him run other people off, but it's one game, right? Is that the guy you want to roll with Well, Malachi Nelson is gone, right? Caleb Williams gone in the draft. You're going to have to make this work with him, or you're going to have to go into the portal when the spring uh, season opens up. And I think He still might, right? Because he is Lincoln Riley. He can still get a quarterback who might get a whiff that he's right there. I think the one other thing to add to this is Steve Sarkeesian is going to have another year of Quinn Ewers, which is not a small thing. And Pete Krakowski is not going anywhere. He's a defensive coordinator. They had the dude set and they got in enough transfers for me to believe they can contend for the SEC title, Right. I don't know that USC is in a position to contend for the Big Ten championship. Now, if Steve Sarkeesian goes and wins the NAS championship for Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley's going to hear about it. If Lincoln Riley goes and wins the NAS championship for Steve Sarkeesian does, well, they have shown they will pull the dump lever really quickly, no matter what they're paying you at the University of Texas. So I'll be curious. But as a verdict here, Steve Sarkeesian needs to go and win a NAS championship. All right. That is going to do it for tonight's live episode of the number one college football show. We're back on Thursday. Our number one college football show leads up screening are Jack Coakley and Torrin Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistants Kiara Santana and Jim Cunningham put the special in our special teams. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Chaz Boulay is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls plays from the sideline. And the play snaps on my clap. We'll see y'all on Thursday. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Doses.